Proverbs 3, beginning with verse number 18. The Bible says, But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he had so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which, was, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. I am preaching to you today. This is an Easter message, but it's also going to touch on some other things as well. I am preaching to you today from this subject, Bible prophecy and the end time. Bible prophecy and the end time. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Ask God to bless the preaching of his word today. Lord, we thank you. I pray that we'd have ears to hear and hearts to understand what your spirit says. I pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us today. Help me, God, to preach your word. Let our hearts be changed. Let your will be done in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It is in the third chapter of the book of Acts that we read an incredible story about two of Jesus' disciples' encounter with a lame man at the gate of the temple that was called Beautiful. As Peter and John were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, something very amazing happened. Somebody once observed, and rightfully so, they said every time that you see something miraculous happening in the book of Acts, every time it seems like it's while the church is either on their way to, from, or in a prayer meeting. There's something very powerful, folks, about prayer. Something awesome about the power of prayer. And if you're a guest here today, let me just tell you that you are in a church that believes very strongly in the power of prayer. Prayer changes people. And it can affect our circumstances. It is our direct connection to God Almighty. As Peter and John were on their way to a prayer meeting, they were passing by the gate beautiful. And there sat a lame man who was begging for money. And when he saw them as they passed by, he asked them for money as well. But Peter looked down upon him and something came over Peter. And with a holy boldness, he he said, silver and gold have I none, but... Such as I have, give I to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He said, rise up and walk. And then he reached down and he lifted. That's that faith I was teaching about this morning. It's not just saying something. It's putting something with it. He said it and then he reached down. And he lifted the man who had been lame from the day he was born to his feet. And when he did, the Bible said that immediately... His feet and ankle bones received strength and he was instantly healed. 
he made his way into the temple with those two disciples. And the Bible said he went walking and leaping and praising God. Naturally, this drew the attention of all of those that knew this man and had seen him for years begging at the gate of the temple. And they began to ask, what has happened to you? What has changed your life? We know you. We've seen you at the gate. What has changed in you? And the Bible told us that he took a hold of Peter and John. He said, these men prayed for me. These men reached down and the Lord touched me. And the crowd began to press in with amazement. And Peter took the opportunity to do what Peter did best. And he began to preach to them about the God-man who was called Jesus of Nazareth. In his preaching to these astonished eyewitnesses of this miracle, Peter made this powerful statement. He said, but those things which God before, this is what we read a moment ago, those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer... He hath so fulfilled. When he made that statement, that was no small thing. Peter was telling them unequivocally that the man that they had crucified, the man that they had put up on the cross, that they had hung on the tree, was in fact the Christ. He was the Messiah, the Anointed One. That was then. And continues to be now the most staggering claim of all time. That this man named Jesus, he was not just any man. He was not an ordinary man. But there was something about him that was different from any that had ever come before him. And any that would ever follow after him. The man that had been born in such humble circumstances. In the stable of Bethlehem. Who had grown up in relative obscurity. Without any pomp or circumstance. You mean to tell me that that simple man from Galilee is the Messiah? He's our deliverer that we have waited for. That we have prayed for all these years. That was him. And Peter said, I want you to know. Yes indeed That is he And as proof of this claim The apostle Peter lays out The indisputable evidence He said everything Everything Somebody shout everything Everything. (laughs) He said everything That the prophets wrote about him He has so fulfilled Every single prophecy that was ever made by any prophet of the Old Testament. I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ fulfilled that prophecy. This is no small task. When you consider that there were multiple, multiple prophecies concerning the Messiah. And some of them, when you look at them, if you don't 
understand and you can't see how it's going to come to pass. The Bible said that the ways God's thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are beyond our ways. We can't think like he thinks. We don't understand like he understands and we cannot see the end from the beginning as he can. So we look at some scriptures and we say, well, I don't understand how this is going to work and I don't understand how that is going to work. But Jesus, these scriptures that seemingly would be in contradiction to each other, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. There was a well-known prophecy. Let me give you just a couple. (laughs) There was a well-known prophecy regarding the place where the Messiah was to be born. The prophet Micah had written of it hundreds of years before. In Micah 5 and 2, he said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. One of Micah's most important contributions as a prophet was heralding before it ever happened the place that the Messiah was going to be born. Okay? So Micah tells us the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. All right, we've got that prophet. But when the angel came to Mary and he said, Blessed art thou among women, you are highly favored. And when he told her that she would give birth to this same Messiah that Micah prophesied about, there seems to be a problem because Mary does not live in Bethlehem. Mary is... In Nazareth. Yet God moved upon the heart of a Roman emperor. He played him like a fiddle. And that same emperor. That same emperor. Called for a census. That sent every household. According to the head of that household. Back to the city. From whence they had been born and come from. Well it just so happened. That Joseph was from Bethlehem. And so Joseph said, all right, we've got to get Mary. Even though she's great with child and we've got to get to Bethlehem. And you know the story. Every every Christmas we talk about it. They came into Bethlehem. There was no room for them in the inn. There was no place really fit uh, to, to have a child. And so... Jesus was born in the stable in Bethlehem. Isn't it amazing that God moved people around and had this emperor to call for this census just to fulfill this one verse of Scripture. But there's another prophecy that's even more difficult, in my opinion, to understand. Hosea, another prophet, wrote in his book, Hosea 11.1, he said, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. This too is a messianic prophecy concerning the Messiah. How is it that the Messiah, who is going to be a Jewish person, how can he come out of Egypt? And there you have another very interesting story. When the wise men came to worship Jesus. He was around the age of two years old. 
And when they got there, they told Herod, they said, we've come to worship him that is born king of the Jews. And Herod said, well, do me a favor. You go and find and worship him. He's in Bethlehem. That's what the scriptures are telling us. But when you find him, come back to me and tell me exactly where he is so that I can come and worship him also. So the wise men go. They find Jesus. They bring their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when they are finished worshiping him, they are warned by an angel. They say, don't go back to Herod and don't tell him where the Christ child is. Leave another way. So they do that. When Herod realizes that they are not coming back to tell him where Jesus is. He says, then I'll kill every male child two and under. And I will exterminate this Messiah. So the Lord warns Joseph to take his family and to flee into Egypt. And they remain in Egypt until Herod dies. Fulfilling the scripture. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Matthew 2 and 15 records that exact thing. Isn't it amazing? On and on it goes. More than we have the time to discuss here today. Yet the record is clear and the facts are plainly evident that Jesus fulfilled every prophecy that was ever written about him. Even those that we couldn't have understood how it was possible for them to be fulfilled. Clap your hands today for that kind of a God. But he did not just stop with the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus made some bold claims of his own. And he proceeded to back up every single one of them. One of those was, he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. That's what we're here celebrating today. The fact that Jesus got up from the grave. The fact that Jesus was not confined to some tomb. There's a lot of religions in this world. And they're they're worshipping their deities. And they're worshipping their holy men and women of old. But I got news for you today. Only one of them has the claim of Christianity. That the God that we serve went down into the grave. But he did not stay in the grave. He got back up. And he lives forevermore. But no longer are we living in the time of the Old Testament. We don't live any longer in the time of Christ. Today we are living in what the Bible refers to as the times of the Gentiles. The dispensation in which God is actively seeking and taking out of this world a people for His namesake. There are many names ascribed in Scripture to this particular group of people. It's been called everything from the body of Christ to the ecclesia, the family of the Lord, the bride of Christ. However you want to refer to it, this group of people are what we today would call the church. Everybody say the church. And I want you to know that God loves the church. In all of the scope of human history, there is nothing like the church. She rises above every other institution known to mankind. Her beauty is indescribable. The power within her is breathtaking. 
Her hope is sure and her destiny is glorious. The church is a wonderful thing. The church comforts the grieving. And through the power of God's spirit, it helps to heal the broken. It builds bridges for sinners. It opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. In the safety of her arms, chains of addiction have been broken. The oppressed have been freed. And a sense of purpose has been realized. All of this happens through the empowering of the Spirit of God. There is nothing like the church. I'll tell you that she's in a class of her own. She is the crowning jewel of all creation. The eyes of the Lord are upon her. And there is absolutely no weapon that is formed against her that can prosper. There is no devil that can overtake this church. There is no false doctrine that can choke out her message. Governments may rise and governments will fall. But the church has and the church will continue to always stand. Roman emperors sought to pollute the purity of her doctrine, but they failed. The dark ages sought to extinguish her light, but that failed. And I want you to know that you and I are living in the most exciting day that the church has ever known. Literally, literally every day, thousands and thousands of people are repenting of their sins. They are being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that they know it's happening, the reason that they know this Spirit of God is still real, is because they are hearing them speak in tongues. I'm not talking about a bunch of fake junk that some charlatan preacher tries to sell you. I'm not talking about some kind of television prosperity stuff or somebody trying to do some, some kind of goofy stuff to make you believe something that's not true. What I'm talking about is the real thing. Just hear, this, hear this. Just two weeks ago, a man that I am personally connected to, another pastor, shared this testimony. He said, I went to a hospital visit. With an elderly lady from our church that is suffering with dementia. When I walked into the room, she didn't recognize me. So I said to her, he said, well, you may not know me, but I certainly know who you are. He said, you're a Pentecostal that's filled with the Holy Ghost. He, he said that to her and he said, when I said it, her face, her eyes suddenly brightened and a smile came on her face. And just like that, she began to speak with other tongues in the spirit. There was a nurse at her bedside. And astonished, the nurse turned, looked at the family and said, I had no idea that this lady could speak French. Her family was standing there. They said, well, she doesn't speak French. That was the Holy Ghost. Later, they took that nurse. They pulled her aside. They said, would you do us a favor? Tell us, what did she say when you heard her speaking French? She said she kept saying it over and over. I praise you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I want to praise you, Jesus. Folks, the God we serve is not dead. 
He's still alive. He's still alive and He reigns forevermore. And the same Holy Ghost that was poured out in the book of Acts is the same Holy Ghost that God wants to pour out all over this room today. Hallelujah. Let me preach a little bit. No, I'm not talking about something that's passed us by. And I'm not talking about something that has ceased. I'm telling you that the same prophecy that Peter referenced about Job is the same prophecy that applies to us today. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Hallelujah. No, God's not dead. He's surely alive. No, God's not in trouble. No, the church isn't in trouble. The church is doing just fine. You go ahead. I know there's always going to be a naysayer. I know there's always going to be somebody who got done wrong. And I understand that the church hasn't always treated everybody right. But that's individual people. The church as a whole is just as good as it's ever been. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you it's more glorious than it's ever been. I'm thankful for this thing called the church. The reason that Spirit of God that moved in that hospital room, that's moving in this room today, the reason it's moving among us is because the Lord is still adding to the church daily such as should be saved. Because I want to tell you that it's not too long now and the Lord is going to return for the church. When you study the book of Matthew, you will see some very important things that take place. One such instance happened shortly before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to preach about all of it today. But I would recommend when you have an opportunity that you go home and you read Matthew chapters 21 through 24 when you get a chance. In Matthew 21, the Bible tells us that Jesus cursed a fig tree because he expected that fig tree to have something under it that would, that would, that would give sustenance to him. The leaves were on the tree and there should have been fruit, but there was no fruit. And this was a, this was a, 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 a foreshadowing, a, a typology of where Israel was at that particular time spiritually. In chapter 22, Jesus told parables regarding his return. In chapter 23, Jesus dealt with the religious crowd, those that thought they had this church business all sewed up. Those that thought they had everything to know about God all sewed up. Those that were trying to to put a lock on this thing and they were trying to keep it in a certain box and they didn't want it getting out of the box because that might mess something up. But I want to tell you that our God proved that He's not comfortable being in a box. Matter of fact, He said, I'd rather be inside of you. He dealt with that religious crowd in chapter 23. And then when you get to chapter 24, Jesus began to share the signs of the end time. 
And he, he began to tell things about what was to come. And his disciples looked at him and inquired of him. They said, tell us, Jesus, when shall these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of time? Tell us, Lord. Take heed that you be not deceived. For in those days, people shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And many shall believe on them. Jesus was consumed that we would not be caught unaware at his coming. That's why when you read his words and you hear his passion, he is so moved. That's why he stood above Jerusalem. He stood at that temple. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, how oft would I have gathered thee together as a hen doth gather her brood. But you would not let me. Jesus was consumed with us knowing that one of these days he's going to come back. And I came to preach to you today and tell you, I want you to hear me on this Easter Sunday morning. That Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back for the church.
Bible prophecy has to do with two things. It has to do, it's all geared at either Israel or the church. These two great pillars stand parallel. And what touches one always affects the other. Jesus was and is the connection between the two. By accomplishing His purpose on Calvary, He forever intertwined Israel with the church. The Apostle Paul said that the church is the wild branch that has been grafted into the original, which is Israel. This has established a divine connection. That is why America, I know I'm just one voice in a church in Jonesboro, Arkansas today, but I don't mind telling you that's why America better make sure it always stands with Israel. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and say this. I think we need to make sure that when we elect officials, that we need to elect those that have a mind for us to stand with Israel. By accomplishing His purpose on Calvary, God put us together. Uh, Currently, everything that is happening with Israel in the world today, it's not only affecting Israel. Don't think that everything going on in the Middle East right now, that all it affects is Israel. It is setting up the church. Have you ever wondered why it seems that the entire world is against Israel? No other country gets more persecution gets more flack than they do. Early in the reestablishment of their sovereignty as a nation, in 1967, Israel was attacked. And the purpose of that attack by nearby Middle Eastern countries was to take away the land that belonged to Israel, that they had been given back by the British. They were young. They did not have the military might or prowess to defend themselves. Yet miraculously, they managed to not only fight off their attackers, but they actually took land from those that were trying to steal theirs. And if that would have happened to any other country, nobody would have said a word. But it seems like the entire world holds ill will against them for being able to survive such an attack. And it blasts them for not giving the West Bank back to the Palestinians. The global community is clamoring for a Palestinian state and land that now belongs to Israel. And has become overrun with terrorists such as the group Hamas. When Hamas fires rockets into Israel, it seems to be largely ignored or it's chalked up to immaturity. Of a nation. But when Israel retaliates. They become the bad guy. When terrorists cowardly. Hide and stockpile their weapons. In or around schools. And places that children. And other civilians frequent. Israel becomes the inhumane nation. When they begin to. Counter strike. And try to take those. Caches of weapons out. It is infuriating that there is such a double standard accepted in this world. When Prime Minister Netanyahu came a few weeks ago and addressed our Congress, he said some things that went right over the heads of most people, but that resonated with those who know the Old Testament Scripture. Before his speech, Netanyahu met with the Speaker of the House, John Boehner, and he gave him a scroll Of a very specific book in the Bible. It was the book of Esther. 
which tells the story of the Hebrew people being persecuted and sought to be killed by a Persian leader by the name of Haman when God intervened on their behalf through Mordecai and Esther. As a matter of fact, that speech coincidedly with the Jewish holiday of Purim, which is the feast which commemorates the story of Esther and of God delivering His people. Netanyahu referenced this story in his speech, saying that the Jews today face a similar threat from another Persian potentate, referring to Iran. In his closing, he referenced Deuteronomy 31 and 6, which says, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, He it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now, I'm going to tell you today that no other country in the world that had the ability would put up with such nonsense. So why must Israel? I'm going to tell you why Israel is feeling this pressure and why all of these things are coming against them. It is because the spirit of Antichrist is sweeping this world. It is turning the hearts of nations against God's people. And the only thing that is preventing Israel from being destroyed is... The church, the Spirit of God that rests within us. Daniel told us that there would rise up a man who would come on the world scene, who will take the attention of the entire world. He will be a peacemaker. And by peace, he will destroy many. When you look at Daniel chapter number 11, I don't have time this morning to read through some of the things that I had planned to read through. But I want you to know that there's going to be a man that's going to get up one of these days. He's going to have a lot of influence and a lot of people are going to look to him. He's going to rise from a small group. He's not coming out of, he's not going to be coming, uh, from some, uh, very, very prominent position initially. He's going to rise from relative obscurity. And the world's going to fall in love with him because he's going to seem to have all the answers for all of our problems. Yet the day is going to come when that man's going to stand at the temple mount. And there's, he's going to offer the abomination of desolation. And he's going to declare that he has a God that is above every other God. And I want you to know this morning, we're not too far away from those days. I know I sound like an old time preacher right now. But I want to tell you that the word of God is true. Let every other man be a liar. I already showed you where every prophecy in this book concerning Jesus was fulfilled. And I'm going to tell you that the prophecies that we have seen that Jesus mentioned to us about the sign of His coming, they're being fulfilled. We're seeing pestilence. We're seeing famine. We're seeing wars, rumors of wars. We're seeing earthquakes in divers places. They're increasing every year. I want to let you know that everything in the Scripture is being fulfilled. Why does all this matter? Why is all this important? Because the worst thing that you and I could do after seeing all of the signs around us that are unfolding at such a rapid rate, the worst thing that we could do is miss the coming of the Lord for the church. There were so many people that missed His first coming and they still wait for Him today. We, had a mission, we have a missionary in, in, Jeru- in Israel. He lives in Jerusalem. And he sent... 
me this video and make sure we've got the sound where it needs to be. He sent me a video of a man at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, which is their most holy place that they can get to now. It is the wall that remains what's left of it from the last temple that was built. And they go to that wall and they pray day after day after day. And I want you to see this morning how they pray when they call to the Lord. Just let it keep playing for a minute. That man is one of thousands upon thousands who every week he goes to that wall and he begins to pray. And he's praying, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah. Save us, Lord. Deliver us, Lord. Keep us, Lord. Come take your people, God. Come redeem us. Come, Lord, and, and, and push our enemies back away from us. You can stop it. Every day they're coming to that wall and they're praying just like that man's praying. And they're praying that way because they miss the first coming. Can you see the passion in that man? I don't want to be a part of the group that will miss his second coming. And I don't want to be one of those, one of these days, that's saying, oh my goodness, what has happened? What's happened? I don't feel right. There's something wrong in this world. It's because the Spirit of God's going to be taken out of here. I want to let you know today, I came this morning to say, come Jesus. Come Jesus. Come Jesus. Come Jesus. I don't want to miss His coming. That's why I'm preaching the way I'm preaching this morning. Because I don't want to miss the coming of the Lord. And it is going to happen. Just like there were prophecies about His first coming. There are prophecies about His second. First Thessalonians. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Concerning them which are asleep. That you sorrow not. Even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a prophecy about His coming. Second Peter 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. 
whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are in shall be burned up. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come. And everything I've been chasing on this old world is going to burn up. And everything you've been chasing on this old world, it's going to burn up. And all the things that we think are so important, they're going to burn up. (laughs) That house that we're building is going to burn up. The truck that I drive is going to burn up. The clothes that I wear is going to burn up. The things that I think are so important is going to burn up. It's going to be gone. It's not going to matter. And I don't want to be offensive to anybody in this room today, but let me preach like the pastor of this church. You hear me, church? If if we miss that coming, some of us are going to hear this message resonating in our minds. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. You're going to remember that little preacher standing on that platform Pulling at his suit. Standing at that wall. Saying don't miss it. Don't miss it the way they did. Don't miss it coming. I want to let you know. There's not anything in this world worth you or I losing our soul over. There's not anything in this world worth you and I going to hell for. There's not a job that's worth me losing out on. There's not an amount of money that's worth me losing out my walk with God on. There's not anything that this world can offer me that's worth losing out on. And I want to tell you today, I'm, I'm going to make one of those statements It's going to sound like I'm being flippant, but I really ain't. I thank God for this building. And we need another building. And we're trying to figure out what to do. But I'm going to tell you right now. If we have to get rid of the lights. And the music. And all the nice things we have around here. To have a move of God. And see people be saved. Then I say you can take the lights. You can take the drums. You can take the chairs. Just give me a touch of Jesus. Give me a touch of Jesus, because this whole world's going to pass away. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That sounds pretty good, don't it? But let me read you the part that takes it up to another level. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. Buddy, I want you to know something about this message I'm preaching today. About the return of the Lord. These words, they are true. These words, they are faithful. If there's anything you want to bank on, you ought to bank on that. That one of these days, Jesus is coming again. One of these days, He's going to split the eastern sky. One of these days we're going up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be. Somebody who's excited about heaven ought to get up on their feet. Ought to give God some praise and lift up a shout of acclamation to the Lord. Folks, I'm excited about heaven. And I'm looking forward to heaven. But I feel this morning compelled in my spirit. We could shout our way out of here and there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. But I feel compelled in my spirit this morning. That we take some time in this house. To say, Lord, I want to make sure that I'm right with you. God, don't let me be like that one that's waiting. Oh, 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 that missed you. But Lord, let it be that when you come, I say, hey, there he is. That's Jesus. Let there be something in me that allows me to be ready. For the coming of the Lord for His church. This morning would you do me a favor. I know we don't have room for everybody to get to the front of this church. I recognize that. But I wonder if where you are. If you would either kneel at your seat. Or sit down and kneel forward to the chair in front of you. And you would say God I just want to take the time this morning. To make sure I'm right with you. If you're here. And you desire to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want you to come to the front. We will pray with you. If you're here. You want to be baptized. We can baptize you today. In the name of Jesus. All your sins be washed away. We want you to come see us. But right now. Can we all find a time. A moment of repentance. And can we search our hearts. And ask the Lord. To make sure. That we're right. With him.
Oh, Lord. The signs of your coming are all around us. God, I don't know the day. And I don't know the hour. But I know that you're coming. I want to be ready. I want to be right. I'm not talking about you living in a state of fear every day. I'm talking about you living in a state of assurance. Expectation. Behold, the night cometh. Behold, the night cometh. Church, let's lift up our voices this morning. I wish sanctuary, those of you that are members of this church, don't be ashamed to lift your voice. Lord, we're hungry for you, calling out to you. We're calling out to you. If that man who's never felt the Holy Ghost can pray at that wall like that. If that man at that wall can pray like that who's never felt the touch of God like you're feeling right now. How much more should we be willing? Hear him pray. Hear him calling out to the Lord. Lord, we're lifting our voice to you today. We lift our voice to you today. God, if he, if the Old Testament Jew can pray with such a passion, how much more should the church pray with passion? Ha 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 ha!